0: You're listening to a sermon preached at Cross and Crown in Melbourne. We believe that God speaks through the Bible and he calls us to preach the word and proclaim his gospel. We pray that as you listen, you will be strengthened to know, love and live for Jesus. God of the nations, you are gathering people from every tribe into your eternal kingdom. So by your spirit, work through our humble efforts that through our word and witness, we might welcome the outcast, as you have welcomed us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, nobody likes to feel excluded, do they? Statement of the obvious, right? I mean, whether it's, an, whether it's being outside of the in-group with the manager at work, or, or being rejected from yet another job application, or, or being left out from the draft pick of a team, there's few experiences worse in our life than being excluded If you've ever been left on the outside before, you'll know exactly how it feels, right? Embarrassing, disconnected, lonely, and helpless. In fact, children get this. Children more than anyone get this, right? Like the worst thing that a child can hear from their friends are these words. You're not my friend anymore. And then we get really sad somehow. That never happened to me. Okay, maybe. No one likes to feel excluded because it makes us feel unwanted. Unknown and unloved. It makes us feel like an outcast. You know, last week we saw that Jesus hates religion because religion demands do more. And yet it tells us that we can never actually do enough. But if we're brutally honest, right, religion also has a pretty bad track record when it comes to excluding people, doesn't it? We think about religion or religious people and they have a reputation for shunning the unbeliever looking down on those who don't have their lives together or excluding those who don't live respectable and upright or maybe just uptight lives. You see, for many people who don't have their lives together, let's face it, church is actually the last place they want to be because why in the world would I want to go to a place which will treat me like an outcast? But today in Mark's Gospel, we're going to read the story of two outcasts. Two people whom religion would happily keep on the outside. But just like Jesus overturned religion last week, he's going to do it all over again today. Jesus is going to welcome these two outcasts into his kingdom. You see, you might feel like you're on the outside of our church family. Maybe it's because of your age, your gender, or your culture. Maybe it's because of your sin or your shame. But whatever it might be, I want you to know that Jesus wants to welcome you into his kingdom. And I want you to know that we want to welcome you into this church. So why don't we look at the first of our two outcasts, a foreign woman. A foreign woman. Look with me at Mark chapter 7, verse 24. Jesus got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. You see, so far in Mark's gospel, Jesus has been proclaiming the gospel to Israel, God's ancient people. He's been telling them that the kingdom for which they have longed for over 400 years has finally arrived. And he's telling them, I am your king. Over the last seven chapters, Jesus has been playing on home turf, as it were. But now, here in chapter 7, Jesus goes behind enemy lines. He goes to Tyre. Now, we need to understand Tyre is Gentile territory. You see, last week, the Pharisees rejected unclean food, but now they're going to reject an unclean people. Josephus, he was an ancient Jewish historian of his day, he writes that Tyre was one of Israel's bitterest enemies. They were the embodiment of everything that was unclean. If anyone was to be excluded, if anyone was to be rejected, if anyone was to be cast out of God's presence, it was these people. Now, let's face it, right, it's hard for us to resonate with this hatred of another people. We just haven't lived through any sort of experience that would give us that sense of visceral hatred. But our grandparents' generation, who lived through the war, understood it all too personally. I still remember my grandma, who is the most loving person in the world, kind, gentle, would be angry that our family would drive three Japanese cars. You see, for her, the memories of World War II actually made... Japan, the eternal enemy. But see, that's how the Jews in Mark's gospel would have looked at Tyre, as the enemy of God's kingdom. But here, here is Jesus, the king of the Jews, the the God of his ancient people going behind enemy lines to a people long excluded by Israel. So what happens? Suddenly, In verse 25, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. I wonder if you remember Jairus all the way back in chapter 5, the Jewish synagogue leader who brought Jesus to his daughter. See, just like Jairus, this woman's daughter needs the help that only Jesus can give. But unlike Jairus, Jairus was a Jewish religious leader. He was the insider of insiders. No, this unnamed woman is a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She is an outsider if there ever was one. But just look at how Mark describes her in verse 26. It's as if her outsider status just gets worse and worse and worse. Not not only is she a woman in a patriarchal society or a Gentile outside God's kingdom... She is a Venetian by birth, which means that she belongs to Israel's sworn enemy. It's as if my lovely grandmother were to meet a retired Japanese soldier who tortured her family in Malaysia. She would want nothing to do with them. See, you, couldn't, you wouldn't be able to find a more excluded person than this lady. You wouldn't be able to find a greater outcast than this foreign woman. Just notice her desperation. She pleads that Jesus might save her daughter. But where is her husband? Where's her husband? You see, in that time and place, we would expect her husband to care for her, her husband to provide for her, her husband to protect their daughter. But here, her husband is nowhere to be found. This foreign woman is actually a foreign widow. She is excluded from her society, and she is excluded from God's kingdom. She is destitute, abandoned, and without hope. You know, when we read this, Mark is actually inviting us to have a deep sympathy for this woman. He invites us to have compassion on her, like we might have compassion on a poor single mother, a victim of domestic violence, an elderly lady who has been cheated of all her life savings. Mark wants our hearts to break for this foreign woman, an outcast, excluded from God's kingdom. So you might be feeling sympathy, but then you'll read verse 27. Boss, look at what Jesus says. Let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, I wonder if you can tell what's going on here, right? Let me just make it super clear. For Jesus, the children equals Israel. The bread equals the kingdom of God, the gospel, the message of salvation. And the dogs, well, that's the Gentiles. So you're reading this, right? We're like, oh, deep sympathy for this vulnerable woman in her condition. And then somehow Jesus, is he just calling her a dog? Like, where's the sympathy? Where's the compassion? I mean, this is not a compliment. He's not saying like, what up, dog, right? Like, it just, it sounds like Jesus is being racist, Well, before we're too quick to jump the gun, I want us to notice what Jesus is doing here. Firstly, Jesus is resonating with the religious culture of his day. He's he's using the language that the religious leaders would have used of this woman. You see, the Pharisees last week, the ones that didn't want to touch the unclean food, they would be the people that would call her a dog. Now, I know many many of you here have dogs. Many of you here love dogs. I know Danny works with dogs all the time. I see her Insta stories all the time, and I've even met some of your dogs. I mean, can I just say, if you want to see the cutest dog in the world, go find Marcus's Cavoodle, Leo, (laughs) cutest dog in the world. And Sam Chen's Greyhound, Rosie, has her own distinct beauty. Uh, We all love our dogs. But in that time and place, dogs were considered unclean. They were not kept inside the house, let alone on your bed. No, they were kept outside the house. Dogs were unclean. They were excluded from the family. You see, that's how the religious leaders would have seen this woman. Just like the unclean food, they would have rejected her like an unclean dog. So now, why is Jesus using this language, right? Firstly, he's resonating with what the religious leaders would have believed. He's entering into their worldview. So, if they heard him say this, they'd be like, yeah, that's exactly what we think. But then, he enters it to dismantle it from the inside out. Verse 27. I wonder, as you read that verse, what you think the most important word there is. What do you think the most important word there is? Well, see, Jesus now welcomes and includes her with this word, first. You see what I mean? Let the children be fed first. I realize I actually never had it on the slide, so I'm sorry how soon. Let the gospel of salvation come first to Israel, God's ancient people. But see, the Pharisees would have thought that that's where it would have stopped. The gospel goes to Israel and then end of story. But not so for Jesus, because Jesus says it's just reached them first, it's only just begun. Because through Israel, God will then extend his salvation to every tribe in this world, including this foreign woman. You see, God is saying, yes, you are on the outside of the family right now. You are on the outside of the kingdom right now. But my salvation plan is not for one tribe. It is for every tribe. It's not just for this people. It is also for your people. Jesus is saying to this foreign woman, my salvation plan doesn't stop with Israel. It starts with them. And once I restore them to what they were meant to be, I'm going to welcome you. And I'm going to welcome every outsider into my kingdom. The gospel's coming. Your Savior's on his way. But let me start with Israel first. And then after that, I will throw wide open the doors to my kingdom. So what's Jesus doing? He first resonates with the worldview of these religious leaders. And then he dismantles it from the inside out. See, in order to offer the solution... Jesus must first highlight this woman's problem. She is outside God's kingdom. Let me ask you, I wonder what would you do if you were this woman? What would you do if Jesus said this word to you? How would you respond if Jesus called you an outsider? What if he used strong and even offensive language to expose your deepest problem? Let me be totally honest, if Jesus called me a dog who's kept outside the house, I'd be pretty angry. I mean, how dare he call me that? How dare he tell me what's supposedly wrong with me? Who does he think he is that he can speak to me like that? You see, if Jesus exposed my deepest problem, I would get defensive. Because what hurts even more than his words is the truth. It's ironic, isn't it? That we hit back against anyone who calls us out on our sin, especially when we know they're right. We hate it, don't we? But this foreign woman does not hit back. Look at what she says in verse 28. Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. This foreign woman, she accepts her outsider status. She recognizes her deepest problem. She acknowledges that what she needs is the help that only Jesus can give. You see, believe it or not, this foreign woman is actually the very first person in all of Mark's Gospel to actually get what Jesus is on about. So far, the crowds, the religious leaders, the disciples, and even Jesus' own family don't get it. But this foreign woman, this outsider, she understands the Gospel she casts herself on the mercies of King Jesus and he responds to her in faith. He doesn't wait any longer. He answers her greatest problem. He elevates her from being that dog under the table to now being a child seated at the table. This woman, she was rejected by religion, but she is welcomed by Jesus. You're not a Christian, I wonder how you will respond to Jesus' offer of salvation. Will you arc up and hit back at him? Will you be outraged at Jesus' words? Will you object? How dare he say that I've got a problem? Or that I need a saviour? Or will you be like this foreign woman? Will you hear Jesus' words and accept them? Will you humbly acknowledge that you are far from God? That you are living outside his rule. And will you plea with him to welcome you home? Because if you do, Jesus will welcome you just like he welcomed this woman. My gosh, he'll welcome you like he welcomed me. Whatever your background or story, I want you to know that he will bring you home. If we would but concede amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved A wretch like me. You see, for us Christians, we can't avoid the offence of the gospel. No matter how winsome our methods, gentle our manner, we cannot escape the offence of our message. Because we cannot extend Jesus' offer of a welcome into his kingdom if we don't expose the fact that people are currently outside that kingdom. We can't speak of salvation if we don't speak of sin. The good, news of the, the good news of freedom doesn't make sense if we don't first explain the bad news of judgment. You see, let me be blunt, if we're sharing the gospel faithfully with our family and friends, the chances are there will be times where it sounds like we're calling them dogs. It'll sound like it. One English bishop used to say about the power of the Apostle Paul's preaching, that when the Apostle Paul preached, people would riot. And when I preach, people make tea. We can't escape, nor should we flee the offence of the gospel. We need to proclaim the good with the bad, because without the bad, how could the gospel ever be good? The bad news of judgment is the backdrop of the good news of salvation. And as we proclaim that seemingly offensive gospel, we must never forget that you and I too were once on the outside. We too were dogs under the table. We too were the foreign woman, destitute, abandoned, and hopeless. Our words may sound offensive, but our lives must be living proof that Jesus welcomes the outcast into his kingdom. Because you and I are nothing more than one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Well, let's look at our second outcast our second outcast in verse 31 a disabled man again leaving the region of tyre he went by way of sidon to the sea of galilee through the region of the decapolis you see if tyre was behind enemy lines then in these verses jesus is going even deeper into enemy territory and out of nowhere the people bring to jesus a deaf man who had a difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. Just like the foreign woman, this disabled man is without hope. His situation is so dire that he must rely on other people to lead him to Jesus. You see, this man's disability is far more than just physical, right? It's social as well. In that time and place, and actually in our time and place, Suffering from a physical disability actually pushes you to the fringes of society, doesn't it? It separates you from everyone else. It shouldn't be the case, but people treat us differently because of our illness or our disability. If, if you suffer from depression or anxiety, you can personally empathize with this, this disabled man. Because you might not be deaf or you might not have a speech impediment, but the black cloud of depression hangs over you every day. It steals... Your joy, it weighs you down and it keeps you on the outside. An outcast, excluded by everyone around you. You see, just as the woman was excluded because of her gender, this man is now excluded because of his disability. And just like that woman, this man has no hope at all. But I want us to see what Jesus now does in verses 33 and 34. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, "Ephphatha, that is, be opened." Now, what is the world? What in the world is going on here? This is the passage where Jesus calls a woman a dog and he spits on someone, right? Jesus didn't have to put his fingers in the man's ears, and he definitely did not need to spit or touch the man's tongue. But Jesus wants us not just to hear something, he wants us to see something. It's Jesus' fingers which opens closed ears. It's Jesus' words which loosens chained tongues. Jesus is the Son of God. He alone has the power and the authority to do what only God can do. And just like when he multiplied those five loaves and two fishes, Jesus looks up to heaven to God the Father, and performs a miracle to to demonstrate that he alone is God. That's why the people were astonished. That's why they said he's done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You see, this disabled man would have been rejected by everyone around him, but Jesus touches him, embraces him, heals him, and welcomes him. This king, in all of his might, heals the sick and welcomes the outcast. Now, I've read a lot about these verses. And a lot of people will want to give these verses an entirely spiritual meaning. Let me read to you what one person said. Jesus opens our ears so that we can hear what God is saying. Then he'll loosen our tongues so that we can speak what God would have us say. Right? They've made this an entirely spiritual thing. Now, on one level, that's entirely true. Jesus is the only person who can open our eyes, our ears, and our minds to understand God's words. But I want to say that that is not the point of what's going on here, because I want you to see how physically Mark retells this incident. The man is deaf, he cannot hear. The man has a speech impediment, his tongue is chained. Jesus puts his fingers into the ears of this man. And Jesus spits and touches this man's tongue. See, the sheer physicality of this healing is inescapable. And Jesus has established a kingdom of perfect redemption. Not just to forgive us of our sins, but one day in a new creation to make all things new. It's amazing. I want to take you to Isaiah 35, where we're going to find a picture of this kingdom. And I want you... Maybe to close your eyes, unless you're going to fall asleep, but otherwise just to imagine this, picture it in your minds. It will be a kingdom where the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. This will be a kingdom where the whole world will be redeemed and bushfires will ravage the land no more. The wilderness and the dry land will be glad. The desert will rejoice and blossom like a wildflower. It will blossom abundantly and will also rejoice with joy and singing. This will be a kingdom where you and me, this foreign woman, this disabled man, and every outsider who follows King Jesus will be welcomed home The redeemed will walk on the holy way and the redeemed of the Lord will return and come to Zion with singing, crowned with unending joy. I mean, what an amazing vision. What a breathtaking picture of the future. It will be a kingdom of perfect redemption. Joy, joy and joy. See, friends, as you read this, you might identify with this disabled man. It could be that you're suffering from chronic pain or fatigue or some other physical illness. Or maybe uh, you're suffering from a mental illness like anxiety or depression. And the effect of your illness is far more than just physical or, or mental. It's social as well. It cuts you off from relationships. It excludes you from friendships with other people. And it can even make you feel like an outcast. My dear friend, I want you to know this very day that even with your physical or your mental pain that Jesus welcomes you into his kingdom if you turn and trust in him. I want you to know that your sickness is no barrier to you finding salvation in Jesus. I want you to know that your deepest problem is actually not your physical sickness but it's your spiritual sin. And that's what keeps you on the outside. That's what keeps you far from God. So you might feel that it's your physical or your mental illness that separates you from all your friends. But I want you to know that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has conquered the last enemy. By dying in our place, He has defeated death. And He has taken away the sin which once separated us from Him. And in His resurrection, He guarantees that one day you and I will inherit perfect bodies. Bodies that are free from sickness, free from pain, and free from death. Just like Jesus opened this man's ears, just like Jesus loosened this man's tongue, he will one day clear the cloud of your depression and lift the weight of your anxiety. And until that day comes, in the midst of our pain, he calls us to trust him that he has welcomed us into his kingdom and that nothing can ever separate us from him. You see, I wonder, if this foreign woman or this disabled man were to walk into our church, would they be welcomed by us as we have been welcomed by God? Let's face it, many people in our church family look like we have it all together. We look like we do, but the truth is, many of us don't. And the great risk of appearances is that the outcast will not feel the welcome of Christ in our church family. My gosh, the great risk is that we won't even feel the welcome of Christ. Just like the foreign woman, just like the disabled man, they might feel excluded and on the fringes. And I want to say, gosh, guys, I really don't want to be that sort of church. I don't want to be that church family. I hope that we can welcome others as God has welcomed us in Jesus. You know, the true test of our welcome is not with people who are just like us, but with people who are very different from us. People who might not have it all together. Gosh, people who are honest enough to say that they don't have it all together. And maybe the first step for us to welcome the outsider is to acknowledge that we were outsiders too. Maybe the first step to welcoming the outcast is to recognize that we're a group of outcasts who have been welcomed by Jesus. I mean, just think about it right. Wouldn't it be absolutely amazing if someone like that foreign woman or someone like that disabled man were to walk into our church and look at us and say, my gosh, if God has welcomed them, surely he might welcome me. You know, on my count, our church family has people from at least nine different cultural backgrounds. Let me run through the list, and I'm sorry in advance if I forget any of you. I've counted Australia, Malaysia, Singapore, China, Vietnam, Taiwan, Norway, Sri Lanka, and South Korea. If I've forgotten anyone, you can find me later. We've sent Matt and Kate Vinicum to reach indigenous Australians on Groot Island in the Northern Territory. And see, I want you to know that if Jesus is pushing behind enemy lines, if Jesus is extending his gospel to Tyre and the Decapolis and every nation on earth, then the tribes represented in our church family are simply not enough. We planted this church with a vision. And our vision is to see every tribe worship Christ as king. And we mean it. It's a vision for all people. And it's a vision all for Jesus. It's a vision that includes people as far as Tyre and the Decapolis. And it's a vision that will never settle, never stop, and never rest until every tribe on the face of this earth is reached with the gospel of King Jesus. We're going we're to we're get a lot of things wrong in church. But let me tell you one thing that I hope, now that I can promise you is not wrong. Our vision. Because it's the vision of God. And we're going to be bold and unapologetic in our mission to reach our world to know, love, and live for Jesus. Yeah, we want to plant more churches. We want to raise up more gospel workers. We want to send out more missionaries. We want to extend to every outcast the welcome of King Jesus. We want to see everyone repent and believe the gospel. We want to see a Japan that knows, loves, and lives for Jesus. We want to see a France that knows, loves, and lives for Jesus. We want to see a Nigeria that knows, loves, and lives for Jesus. We want to see a Brazil that knows, loves, and lives for Jesus. And on the last day of history, we want to stand there with all those tribes gathered around the throne, with the foreign woman on our left and the disabled man on our right, and all of us gathered there worshipping Christ as King. I mean, gosh, wouldn't it be amazing? That's our mission as a church, to reach our world to know, love, and live for Jesus. And as we settle and almost come to our one year of church, I want to ask you guys, will you be part of that mission? Will you join us in that mission? Will you welcome the outcast as Christ has welcomed outcasts like us? Let me pray. God of the nations, you are gathering people from every tribe into your eternal kingdom. By your Spirit, work through our humble efforts that through our word and witness we might welcome the outcast as you have welcomed us in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.